Good morning, Olive Tree. <laughs> Thank you. It's such an honor. Thank you for this opportunity to serve you this morning. Today we get to look at the fourth part of our series, Contentment, Not Comparison. I just love the series, and I loved the way it stretches us and it demands so much more of us than we're actually giving to ourselves. So just a little bit about me. I grew up in Chatsworth. I loved my neighborhood. And I have some of the most heartfelt stories um, to, you know, in that wonderful place. Our neighbors were like family. Um, we called everyone uncle and auntie. Um, and the dogs were tied to the trees. Sorry, we didn't have any control over that. And we had this amazing family next door. So today we're talking about contentment and comparison. And this couple always compared with each other. Always. Whatever they did, they compared. So there was Auntie Saras and Uncle Preggy. And they always fought. They were always fighting, always arguing. But something strange, there was something strange about that where Uncle Preggy always had the last say. And, and me, as a little inquisitive child, um, you know, the Chatsworth walls are very thin in between the houses. And one day they started arguing. So I ran across and I said, I've got to know why he has a last say. And I went in. And he called me in and he said, hello, Ma, come in. You know, we call everyone Ma uh, in Chatsworth. And he was talking to us and Auntie Saras was saying, Cynthia's arguing again with me. You saw what he's doing. And then he said, you know, Ma, every time I have an argument, I must win the argument. I must have the last say. And I said, oh, Uncle Preggy, really? What do you say? And he said, sorry, darling. You know, this couple probably influenced me quite a bit to be competitive. I was always comparing. Even in school as a little child, I wanted to always be the best. And as a runner and as an athlete, um, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, satisfied with being best in my division. I wanted to beat other athletes that were higher in my division than, than me. And fast forward to high school, I was um, at a trial event for Zones and was competing against other teenagers. And this was very, very nerve-wracking for me. Ross spoke about anxiety and what it does to you. And I was so anxious. I was running the 100-meter trial. And three-quarter of the way into the race, I was so anxious because I felt my opponent leveling up to me on the right-hand side. I was so anxious that I took my eyes off my lane and I veered off into her lane. I quickly realized what I'd done and I ran forward back onto my lane and I won the race. I won the race and the fear and the anxiety dissipated. And I was running confidently to the record master for him to give me my time when the sports coach asked to see me. And he said, if you had run a final or any other race, you would have been disqualified. Changing lanes disqualifies you. 
And I looked at him with so much pride. And I said to him, and in a very, very, by the way, arrogant tone, I won the race. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said to me, your pride will cost you your race. You have potential. But if you want to run your race well, stay in your lane. Turn to your neighbor and say, stay in your lane. That lesson was a fundamental point of reference for me until this very day. Staying in your lane involves being content with who you are. Now, you might be saying to me, Eliane, why do I need to be content? I'm happy comparing. I mean, oh, really, you know, my life's fine. I'm, I'm on Instagram. I'm, I'm really doing well. Why contentment? And that's what I want to get to at this point. You see, contentment comes from rest, peace, joy. Contentment is God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 37, we see that God created the entire universe on the sixth day. He created everything. And he looked at it. He actually looked back and he said, it's good. He was content. What did he do on the seventh day? He rested. He rested. He could have gone back if he wasn't content, if he wasn't rest, peace, and joy. He could have gone back and he could have said, oh, I think Mount Everest should be a little bit more higher. Let's get, let's get something higher than that. Um, okay, man, mm, let's give him another brain. Uh, woman, let's give her more hands. You see, he could have gone on and on and on, not being enough. But he rested. On the seventh day, he rested. That is contentment. When we look at Genesis chapter 2, we look at how Satan comes in. We look at the curse of comparison. Where Satan comes in and he tempts Eve and he says, If you eat of this fruit, from, if you eat of this tree and this fruit, eat this apple. You'll be just like God. Now, remember, Eve was in paradise. She had nothing to worry about, nothing at all. Satan tempts her. You will have more. You will be exactly like God if you eat of this fruit. That is comparison. Rest, peace, and joy. God created it, and that is why we need that in our lives today, because it has taken so much. Comparison has taken so much from us. It has subtracted. It has thrown us into spaces and environments that we really do not want to be in. And now, don't get me wrong, there is a healthy comparison. There is, because if I'm wanting to follow a mentor, Oh, I'm wanting to follow someone and say, wow, look at their lives. That 
man or that woman can leave the most phenomenal legacy. I would love to be like that person one day. That is positive comparison. That is healthy comparison. The kind of com comparison I'm talking about today is actually rooted in fear. It's the process of constantly evaluating our own behavior, our thoughts, our emotions, our relationships, and our careers. And this has the most damaging internal narrative that we could ever want or desire. It makes you feel inferior or superior, meaning it leaves us with a sense of insecurity and pride. And, and you know what? That leaves us with an emptiness in us. If any of you have ever watched or binged watched reality TV or HGTV, um, you will know that your kitchen or your house never looks enough. Never looks enough. You just would have just revamped your kitchen and you're nudging your spouse and you're saying to him, you see, we should have done that. I told you we should have done that. Now you see? And we're scrolling down. What is the next thing? What is the next thing on Instagram or Facebook? It's almost like a silent killer of your destiny. There were people that um, recently spoke about this blogger spoke about how social media and following social influences uh, affected her life. And she said, I actually got into debt because I was following this woman and her kids had designer clothes and she had a new hairstyle every day. I wanted what she had. And it actually subtracted from me. It actually robbed me of appreciating my family, appreciating my kids. And I got into this whole different world and I didn't know who I was. It's a silent killer. Behavioral psychologists have tested samples, and they say that 50% of students at university are actually having such negative emotions and almost depressed because of the prolonged use on social media. It has brought a 24-7 connectivity mindset, an accelerated lifestyle that weaves its way through every part of our lives, and it contaminates our lives. What drives comparison? We live in a time where everybody wants to be a public figure. Don't we all just love to post the best versions of ourselves? But we need to realize that that pressure that we feel to be so special and accepted, the pressure, the constant anxiety, and the worrying, and will I be enough, or can I fit into that group? It does not come from God. It comes from a scarcity culture that says I'm not enough. You see, I'm just sharing my weakness today, because I found in my life, I had this innate desire to look at the lanes beside me. What are they doing? We look at our phones, and they're actually mirrors nowadays. Do we measure up? Let me look and see. There was this illustration of Snow White, the fairy tale, where the wicked witch says, you know, when she says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? It's almost like today we say, mirror, mirror on Facebook. Tell me how I really look. Or mirror, mirror on Instagram. 
Who do you say I really am? The screens on our phones have become constant, constant scrolling down every single day. We compare our kids to their um, teammates. Why can't he play cricket? You know, we, <laughs> I must tell you this. When we were, uh, our boys were younger and we'd buy them the, the cricket, they loved cricket and sport, and we'd buy them cricket bats and say, you make sure you score those sixes and those fours with those cricket bats. Putting pressure putting pressure on it, and you don't even realize it on kids, on, on families, having unrealistic standards and expectations. Comparison is a thief that destroys and kills our joy. You see, when we, I, look at, I liken it to this, when we evaluate the truth in our lives in, in comparison, we're seeing only one perspective. It's like we're having a meeting on, a virtual meeting on Teams, and you're in your office, and you're pointing just to the nice side of your office. The rest of the office has, it has the, the mismatched socks, it has the crocs, it has everything on that side, and you don't want anyone to see. You don't want anyone to see it. We see only one perspective. The pressure to measure up and wanting to be more leaves us miserable with a feeling of resentment. And what we're really saying is we're saying, God, I don't really want what you've given me. I want what the next person has. If I only had her job and his house and her children and that spouse, we do that. We do, we're all guilty of it. And what we really need to realize is the value we have in us. And that comes from our identity in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, I want to just take you there quickly. If you have your Bibles, just go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is who you are, Olive Tree. This is who you are. We are His workmanship. I love the amplified version. It says, His own master work a work of art. Another version says a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed and renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand. He knew the plans he had for you, taking parts which he said so that we would walk in them Ah, living the good life for which he prearranged and made ready for us. If anyone knew contentment, it was Paul and the Bible. He had a revelation and he wrote scripture. And this is God. This is just God's miraculous power. He had a revelation of freedom in prison. Isn't that powerful? He was under chains. He was being persecuted. He knew what suffering was. He was unjustly treated. He was put on trial. He was shipwrecked. You go back to 2 Corinthians and you read his entire encounter of hardships and suffering. And in Philippians 4, verse 11, he says, I am not saying this. 
because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. This is what I love about the Word of God. It tells you that you're content and gives you the secret for it as well. All the solutions are in the Word of God. And in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, here's the secret. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Now, the Apostle Paul was set apart for trouble. When God sent Ananias, Ananias to lay his hands on Paul, the Lord said, he is my chosen vessel. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. He knew what it was to be content. So when the current economic situation in South Africa is really, really down to its lowest. We have been grey-listed olive tree. There has been, KZN has been robbed of so much. We, there have been lootings. There, was, there were floodings. You have personal issues right now. And you're going through struggles right now. And Paul is saying through all our troubles, being content and knowing that we can do all things to Christ who strengthens us, gives us hope for our future. I can have an example. There's Paul. I have an example to look to. He followed this contentment, rest, peace, and joy. He followed it, and this is what it gave him. It gave him peace. When Paul says in Philippians 4.8, he says, fix your thoughts on what is true and admirable, on what is holy and praiseworthy. He says, do this. He talks about learning and receiving from me everything that I have done. That's an example. You know, we are so prone to compare. We all are prone to compare. The other day I was standing in the mirror and... Um, okay, let me share something very vulnerable. So I stood in the mirror and I looked and I said, mm, Lord, God, yeah, you made me okay, but, but why did you make this a little bit, little bit smaller? And he said to me, I didn't make that. <laughs> and that's a gracious God we serve. That's, what, that's all he said. And later on, I did make peace with my, with my belly. Because I said, out of it shall flow rivers of living water. <laughs> God is a God of rest, peace, and joy, of freedom. Of freedom. We look back at Solomon. We look at how Solomon gives us an example in the Old Testament. And he says, the, he was the wisest man that ever lived. He asked, when, when um, he asked God some, of something of God, we would ask something maybe material or something to bless 
uh, health or whatever. He asked for wisdom. He asked for wisdom. So taking it from the wisest man in the world, this is what he says. He says in Proverbs 14.30, he says, A tranquil, meaning a peaceful and quiet heart, gives life to the flesh, but envy rots the bones. Now this was over 3,000 years ago. Same concept, different century, all in the Word of God. Ecclesiastes 4.4 says, I then observed, Solomon goes on to say, I then observed that majority are motivated to succeed. So majority meaning most people are motivated to succeed because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. And he goes on and on to talk about people that are striving and toiling and worn out and exhausted, completely exhausted from comparing. It's depressing and meaningless, the Bible says. Stay in your lane. Comparison is not going away. So here's how we deal with it. Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. Notice, learn is an action. It's an action. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For us to be content, we need to know where contentment comes from. We've discovered that God is contentment, rest, peace, and joy. Someone once said that contentment teaches us to read the story God is writing with the eyes of faith. Each one of us is a character in this grand story, and we have an opportunity to read our respective parts well, trusting the author to bring it all to a glorious conclusion. We keep thinking that at some point, if I find joy and happiness, I would be content. I kept thinking that. If I find this or the next that, but full disclosure, I live a very blessed life. We live blessed lives. We have family. We have amazing people around us. We have community. And as a Christ follower, we look at how we're going to manage comparison. So what if, what if you took all the energy, the time, and the effort you expended on comparing your life to others and use that to invest in the life God has purposed for you. It is either your lane or your neighbor's. You choose. But I know one thing. I'm not taking my focus off my lane. I've tried it, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You don't get to finish your race. When we cultivate a heart of gratitude and faith, we get to celebrate God. And we get to celebrate what he does in the lives of others and leverage what he's given to us. So here's an example. When your friend or colleague has just landed a new promotion as executive director, and that's a position you were vying for, and you say, oh, you could either do two things. You could pout and you could moan, and you could say, oh, how come I didn't get that? Or you could celebrate him, and you can say, oh, let me send him a text. 
congrats, mate. Well done. You know, that's going to be so weird if we haven't done it before. It's going to feel so terrible on the first account. But practicing, practicing, shifting and moving your thoughts from comparison to contentment to celebrate others actually gives you the freedom to find rest, peace, and joy. And eventually, you will also be celebrated when your time comes. Have faith in God that he is working behind the scenes. You know, contentment wins even in the wilderness. Even in the wilderness, there's Paul. There's Jesus in Isaiah 53 verse 3. He knew what was suffering, dying the worst death. He knew what was suffering. And that's the reason we can go to him. That's the reason we turn to him and we say, Father, I need you right now. Subtraction has become the key word in all of our lives. We've all lost some kind of either material possession, we've lost loved ones, we've lost so many things in, lives, in, in our lives. How do you find rest, peace, and joy in a terminal illness, a loss of a loved one? Through my struggles, God has become my anchor and safe place, and peace continues to fuel my trust and strength in Him. See, when we lay down our expectations of the way we think life should be and trust God to fulfill those expectations His way, we find rest, peace, and joy. In 2017, two weeks before my MBA graduation, after a routine screening, I was diagnosed with cancer. This diagnosis found me reeling, out of control. I was shocked. I was, it, was, it was just a huge um, catastrophe, I would call it. And I remember sitting at the table with my family, all teary-eyed and, and just listless, you know, and saying to them, God does things that bring him the greatest glory. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I remembered his warm presence constantly and peace in my heart from previous losses and heartaches, particularly the loss of our baby boy when I was five months pregnant. How each loss drew me closer and closer to Jesus. He was my peace. He was my anchor. And finding the contentment amidst the storms of life gave me strength to lean on him once again, knowing that he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. Now, honestly, I have to say this to you. I struggled. We struggle. We are struggling today. And I struggled through that season of pain and loss I struggled to find peace. But remembering what he has done. When we sing, look what the Lord has done. When we remember what he has done. 
and we see the hand of God moving in our lives, we realize that he is the one constant. He is the one true constant that will never leave us and never forsake us. I was so grateful through all of my journey through cancer. I was so grateful for the wisdom and revelation from God every step of the way, whether it was with my surgeons, my type of surgery I had. I had a brilliant oncologist and the staff at the hospitals, nothing short of angels. And most especially, my most amazing, phenomenal family who supported me and loved me through that. Through our trials, we grow in contentment at the wonder of God's miraculous hand over us. And we will never know how much we need Jesus until, until Jesus is all we need. In 2018, a year later, an annual screening found abnormal tissue once again. My radiologist commented that there's enough abnormal tissue in here to for a lab to diagnose. I refused. I refused to accept this knowing, now knowing, after every single thing that God has done in my life, Jesus was yet again and will continue to be my portion and my strength. I went on a fast. Olive Tree, we have been fasting and we have been praying. I went on a fast and I prayed and I said, God, you are the God of the impossible. You sent your word to heal my disease. There is no cancer in this body. And I am going to trust you and I'm going to learn to rest on you. Now, if you know me and my family will tell you, it's hard for me to rest. <laughs> I can't sit. I have to be doing something. I'm better now, but that's who I was. That taught me contentment. Your trials, your sorrows, your pain are going to teach you contentment. Like Paul, like Jesus. A week later, my oncologist called to say the biopsy results were all clear. We serve a God of the impossible, and I cannot do anything else but give him praise, glory, and honor. See, when Paul says, I have learned to be content in every and any, those prepositions have power. Because you can look at me and say, Leanne, I can't be content with losing my job. See, we're not content with our circumstances. We're content in them. We are content in them. So I want to say to you this morning, fix your eyes on Jesus. Choose contentment. It's hard, isn't it, Olive Tree? It's so hard. The other day I was at the gym and I was, I was looking at this lady. She's in our gym class and she's probably late, in her late 50s or 60s. And she has such a wonderful, amazing body that God has given her. And I looked at her and I said, wow. I actually complimented her. I said, wow, Cherie, you look so amazing and you're such a role model. And I was so excited with myself. There we go, the pride rises again. I thought I'd conquered 
comparison. And I go to the promenade, and I'm trying to outrun somebody in front of me. <laughs> this is what happens. This is what happens. It's part of life, but you get to choose today. You get to choose your lane. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Now, newsflash, <laughs> like we don't know it. There will always be someone who is better, smarter, more intelligent, more attractive. The list goes on. But that should never take away from you what God has for you and the plans he has for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You have it right in front of you. And I want to say something else to you today is that somewhere in this world, there are people out there who see your body, your life, your career, something that you have, and they would give the world to have what you have. Be inspired by others, but be motivated to live your life on purpose. Stay in your lane. See, this is your moment, Olive Tree. Your moment, this is your season where God is saying to you, the real new you needs to stand up. The real you that he created. And make a decision today to break out of the prison of comparison. And as you leave today, I just want you, before you leave, to just get out your phones like we did last week. Just to evaluate where we are right now. Will you get out your phones and, and paint? Let's paint the picture. What do we need to stop comparing in the season of our lives? Paint the picture, the end vision of your life. I would love to be known as you fill it in. If I achieve rest, peace, and joy, and freedom, I will achieve significance in my life. My life will be significant. The way I think and I feel, focus on Philippians 4.8. It sums it up. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is worthy of good report. There will always be a tendency to self-sabotage. Always. But remember who you are. Remember who God has called you to be. Remember your identity. Think on these things of contentment. And as we close now, I would love to pray for you. I would just ask you to just close your eyes. I just feel that there are so many of us today that have come with heavy hearts. We have sorrow. We have pain. There's an urgency of God, what next? God, what now? God, I really want to follow this path of contentment, this rest, peace, and joy. Will you show me how? Will you give me understanding and rest in the most difficult time of the world right now? We see poverty. We see anguish. We see subtraction, subtraction, subtraction. 
And God is saying, come to me. Jesus says, come to me. All ye who labor. And I will give you rest. I will give you rest. So Father, I thank you today for these beautiful people that have come to celebrate. They've come to give you, Lord. But today, in turn, will you just give back to them? Will you just pour out your spirit upon them, Lord? And will you just give back to them the rest, the joy, and the peace, God, that you so willingly and so freely want to give to us? We thank you, Abba, Father, for who you are. We thank you that without you, we could do nothing. And we thank you, more especially, that we have you. And so today, as we leave today, God, we thank you that rest, peace, and joy will dwell in our hearts in Jesus' name. Thank you. She's a rock star. That is so cool. Guys, as you go from church this day, I have used this series around who do I want to become, what's misaligned inside and out. I've looked at self-sabotage. I've literally spent every Friday working through this. It has helped me so much. I really encourage you, don't waste this series. Spend a bit of time. There's, there'll still be some stuff on our social media for you to take notes from. But work out who you want to become and start taking steps in that direction. It will serve you so well. Other than that, Hebrews next week, it'll be an absolute cracker. Invite some friends. Join us for coffee outside. May God bless you. Have a great day.